This morning's scripture reading is from Joshua chapter 23, verses 6 through 8. Be very strong. Be, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to your Lord God, to Lord your God, as you have until now. It is now time for children. As we begin to emerge from this pandemic, in many ways we are entering a new and unknown world. There will be new obstacles and new opportunities. Much the same could be said about Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the river and entered the new world of the Promised Land. What was God's answer for their uncertainty? A constant and compelling message we all need to hear. Be strong and courageous. Glad you're here today. At the end of our service, some of our shepherds are going to come up here and have a prayer of blessing over Mark and Cindy Coleman. And I just want to say on behalf of the staff how incredibly thankful we are to God for Mark and Cindy Coleman. I know that our voices join literally hundreds and thousands of other voices in giving thanks to God for Mark and Cindy. You know, I, I, I've seen them for 27 years and served alongside them. And many of us on the ministry team have done that. And they have been our friends. They have been our supporters. They have been our advocates. They have been our fellow servants on the mission field. In many ways, they have been our shepherds. They have challenged us sometimes. And I'm just so thankful for their influence in our lives, in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of this church family. So often, people view church as what happens in a place like this one or two hours on Sunday. And Mark and Cindy personify the church, that the church is every day of the week, every moment of the week, as you live your lives among other people. And their example is just incredibly important for us. And I know Mark is probably squirming right now in his seat, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say much more, but I am just going to say on behalf of the ministry staff how thankful we are for Mark and Cindy. I've been in a lot of different situations with Mark. And as I think about it, many of them were kind of dangerous situations. And so I'm thankful we both survived all of those situations, to be honest with you. If you have a Bible, look at Joshua chapter 23. That's going to be our text today, Joshua chapter 23. Leadership guru John Maxwell once said, Experience isn't the best teacher. Evaluated experience is evaluated experience. Boy, I think there's a lot of truth to that. History happens. We have experiences. The question is, will those experiences in our lives inform how we live moving forward? Will we learn from our mistakes? Will we learn from our experiences? Will we learn from what has happened to us, what we have done, our decisions? All that is in our history, collectively, and as individuals, will we learn from that and then let that inform how we move forward? That is such an important question. A few days ago, I pulled into our garage, I got out of my pickup, and I was about to walk into the house, and I turned around and I saw this. Yeah, that was my response too, but it was a little higher pitched. <laughs> 
about a three foot, I think it's a bull snake, so you know, they're not poisonous. People always say they're not poisonous. Hey, it's a snake. A snake is a snake in my book. And so I see this snake in the middle of my garage, and of course the first thing I do is take out my camera and take a picture of it, because I know, you know, if something happens to me, they're going to look at my phone and look at the last picture, and they may have some knowledge as to what has happened to me, so I thought, I've got I to chronicle this. So I took a picture, and then I am watching the snake. I am going over to get a shovel from the corner of the garage, because, you know, I'm going to shoo him out of the garage or use it for something else, but I, I wanted a shovel, and so I'm looking at the snake, going towards the shovel. I go get the shovel. I turn around, and you know what happened? He was gone. I could not find him. I don't know where he went. I don't know if he climbed up in my truck, which I'm still nervous about. So I started to move stuff outside, you know, from the wall. I started to pull stuff out of the corner. I'm looking everywhere for this snake. I cannot find this snake anywhere. I'm wearing a suit at the time, holding a shovel, looking for a snake in my garage, and I hear this. Hey, Randy, outside my garage is my neighbor. And she has a friend that she wants me to meet, someone who used to live in our house who just happened to be going by and wanted to talk about the house. We want to know our neighbors. We're trying to do the neighboring thing. So I walk out of the garage wearing a suit, holding a shovel, didn't even phase her, didn't even phase her at all. We have this conversation. The whole time I'm sort of looking over my shoulder into the garage thinking, I'm going to see him, I'm going to see him. Never saw the snake. Still haven't seen the snake. I don't know what happened to the snake. My theory is we left the door open. He went on about his business. We're all good. My fear is, well, there's many. (laughs) He's going to come out of my air vent in my truck. Somehow he got into the house. I don't know. But I have evaluated that experience many times. And so now every time I step foot in the garage, you know what I'm doing. I'm looking everywhere for that snake. I'm looking everywhere because of that past experience. Had I not had that experience, had I not thought about that experience, I would just walk into the garage. You see, evaluated experience is a very effective teacher. When we are fully present in the moment, or at least when we can be mindful of the moments that we have gone through and let those inform our future moments, that is good. That is helpful. We can make better decisions. And in essence, that's what Joshua is saying to the children of Israel, to the Israelites. He is saying to them, this is what God has done in our past. This is where we have come, and this is where we're going. And this past experience informs how we move forward. So we're going to do a quick time warp through about 15 chapters of Joshua. There are several ups and downs along the way. There's some invasions of some cities, some inhabitants, and taking over cities in Canaan. And then Joshua begins to divide up some of the land to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we get to chapters 23 and 24, these farewell speeches by Joshua to his people, knowing that his days are numbered, that he's not going to be around forever. And so what does he tell the people on behalf of God that they need to know? And one of the things you will see in farewell speeches throughout Scripture is this twofold notion of our past and our future. In our past, many times in farewell speeches, it is, look how God has been faithful to us. 
Look at all the things God has done for us. Look how God has carried us through. He's provided for us. He's protected us. And so there's this look at the past, but there's also this glance forward into the future. Knowing what we know about what God has done for us, how does that inform how we move into the future? And there's usually an appeal or a charge for the people in these farewell speeches. That is certainly the case with Joshua. So we start in chapter 23, verse 1. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, the elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And so in many ways, Joshua helps the people evaluate their collective experience in Canaan. And to do that, he says, just open your eyes. Just see all that God has done. God has, and I love this phrase, he has fought for us. God has been on our side. God is fighting for us. He is in our corner. Can you think of anything more reassuring than knowing that God is fighting for you? As you think back over your life, let me ask you, what role has God played in your life? If you can say, you know, really, God has fought for me. God has been my advocate. God has been there for me. What an incredible, powerful testimony. And what a reassuring truth to know that God is fighting for you. When Satan is assaulting you, when you have lost loved ones, when you have gone through difficult times, when it seems like the world around you is caving in, just knowing that God is fighting for you that should give you great peace and great hope. In Romans chapter 8, many, many, of course, years later after Joshua, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Well, Paul, how can you say that? Why can you say that? He says, because if God is for us, Romans eight thirty one. Who can be against us? If God is in our corner, who can come at us? If God is for us, if he's fighting for us, nothing can stand up to us. Listen, I don't know where you are in life right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But I know this. You want God for you. You need God for you. And if God is for you, nothing and no one can stand against you. That's Joshua's message to the people. God is fighting for you. And because God is fighting for you, it should inform how you step forward, how you move into the future. And so what we're going to see in chapter 23 is Joshua goes back and forth from the past to the future, from the past to the future. And so now he glances ahead. Because God is fighting for us, look at all that God has done for us. Now look at verse 6. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Joshua says, be strong don't let a moment of weakness cause you to stumble. Don't give in to the influence, the pagan influence around you. 
Align yourselves with the law of Moses without turning to the right or to the left. When we read this passage, we see echoes of chapter 1. I don't know if you remember chapter 1. It's been a few weeks ago. But we see echoes of chapter 1. It's almost like the writer of Joshua takes this notion of being strong and faithful to God and he uses it as a bookend. And he puts one at the beginning before they go into the land and he puts one at the end of the story as they are in the land to hold the whole story together. These, these bookends must be important. This idea of being strong must be important. Just look at what he says all the way back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. See if it sounds familiar. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, the book of the law of Moses the Torah. It was so important. It was central to the people of God, to the Israelites. In chapter 8 of Joshua, Joshua actually reads the entire book of the law to the people. You think my sermons are long. I mean, that was a long one. He reads it to the whole people, to the whole nation. But it's, it's meant to be more than just read. It's meant to be more than just revered. It is to be a shaping force in their lives. It is central to their lives. It is, it is to guide every part of their lives. As Israelites under the old covenant, under the law of Moses, that law was to guide how they worshiped, but not only how they worshiped, how they lived, how they lived in community, how they handled disputes, how they treated each other, how they did family. Now for us today, we aren't under the old covenant. We aren't under the law of Moses. And yet the word of God remains our guiding force. For Christians today, the word of God is what guides us. It is something that we hold in high esteem. And it is to be more than simply read or even revered. It is to be that guiding, shaping force in our lives. And so Joshua says, God has been faithful to us in all of these ways. Now we need to be faithful to him. We need to be obedient to him. And now he turns back and looks at the past again. Verse 9. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because of the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Joshua says to the people, remember all the things that we have done remember the battles and just when you want to take credit for that and say yeah we we took care of Jericho didn't we that was quite a story man the way we marched the way we played those trumpets we brought those walls down it's almost like Joshua saying before you start getting too self-reliant and patting yourselves on the back don't forget the true power behind you it's God God is the one who has been doing these things among you. And so he encourages them to evaluate their experience and let it shape and inform how they move forward. So again, now back to the future. What does he say? He says, knowing what you know about God, there are some things that you need to do and some things you need to avoid. Back in the text, 
verse 12. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua says, be assured, God will be faithful to his covenant. The question is, will you be faithful to the covenant God has with us? And he says, to do that, it means you need to avoid some things. He says, don't intermarry with the survivors of the land of Canaan, the inhabitants who are still there. Don't associate with them. Let's be sure and clarify this. With this directive not to intermarry, God is not trying to preserve some type of ethnic purity. He is trying to preserve a spiritual purity. And so any reading of this text and then applied to a current day situation to prohibit people from different ethnicities marrying is exceedingly wrong. That is not what God is saying here. God knew that if his people tied the knot with pagan people who worship pagan gods, then that pagan influence would have an impact on his people, that there's a good chance they would stumble. And keep in mind, these people, these civilizations he's talking about, they are incredibly morally corrupt. Some of them even practicing the act of child sacrifices to their pagan gods. And God wants no part of that for his people. So he says, stay away from them. Don't allow their influence to infiltrate the camp. And I love what he says. He says, avoid the snares and traps. Avoid the snares and traps. Man, Satan knows how to set the traps, doesn't he? He knows how to push our buttons. He knows how to appeal to us. He knows how to disguise things. He knows how to present things so that they look one way, but the reality is they are a trap. They're actually something else. We experience this every day. (laughs) Speaking of snares and traps, maybe you've gotten one of those emails or one of those phone I got an email a couple of weeks ago. The subject line said, checking in and favor. And it was from a a very sweet lady here at church. And I thought, well, that's nice to hear from her. She needs a favor. Let's open up that email and see what it is. Open up the email. The message is really short. Sorry to bother you. Hope you're having a good morning. I have a quick favor to ask of you. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Why didn't she just ask the favor in the email? But I thought, well, maybe it's something kind of big. So I reply back, doing great. Hope you and your family are well. How can I help you? Didn't take long to get a reply. And the reply was a message that says, yes, again, sorry to bother I think my microphone's going in and out. I don't know if that's me or, can you hear me? Oh, good, okay. And so the response said, sorry to bother you, but I'm on my way to a funeral of a loved one who's died of coronavirus, and in parentheses it said COVID-19, as though I might get the coronavirus mixed up with another coronavirus. I need to know which one it is. So I'm on my way to a funeral of a loved one who's died of coronavirus, COVID-19, and I need to pick up a gift card. You know where this is going. I need to pick up a gift card for a relative because it's her birthday. And by the way, 
she is fighting cancer. Well, red flags are going off everywhere, right? And so I buy the gift card. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and by the way, if you got the same email, you can send me your gift card and I'll make sure this person gets it, okay? No, of course, this was, a, this was a trap. This was a hoax. It wasn't real. Someone had hacked her email, and, and maybe you did get the email. And I just thought, as I read that, and, it, you know, the light bulb sort of went off, I thought, how incredibly sad that someone is using cancer and COVID-19 and all these other things to manipulate people, to trap them. That is so sad. And yet, isn't that what Satan does? Satan takes things sometimes that are sacred. Satan takes things sometimes that are true. Sometimes he takes things that mean so much to us and he twists them and he turns them. And he makes an appeal to manipulate us. And we buy into it because it either sounds true or we want it to be true or maybe it is true. And we give in. If we're not careful, we'll get duped by Satan. He knows exactly what appeals to make to us, how to present things that sound legitimate. There are so many snares and traps around us. The ministry staff spends some time talking about our culture and our world and what's going on in our world. And the reason we do that is because we want to stay relevant. We want to be able to engage the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why we are here as God's people. So we need to understand the culture to do that. We need to understand young people who are often leaving the church. We need to understand all age people so that we can meet them where they are with the gospel. And one of the things that we talk about is this phenomenon that's happening in this post-Christian world that we now live in. You see, when you go through a time of transition, whether it's graduation, or maybe you have a child, or you move to a new town, or you get a new job, or if you go through a difficult time, incredible loss, financial loss, relational loss, a difficult time, or maybe coming through and out of a pandemic, oftentimes there's something that happens that, that disorients us. We go through this season of disorientation, and during that disorientation, we ask a lot of questions, and maybe we don't even recognize we're doing this, but there's something going on in our head. And so we start asking questions like, what am I about? What's important to me? What are my values? What's my identity? What about my faith? What, am I, what about my belief system, my worldview? And so we ask a lot of questions, and we do a lot of searching and that's not a bad thing. But here's what happens. So many times in that disorientation season, we also do something called deconstruction. It's exactly what it sounds like. We begin to pull things apart. So we pull apart our worldview. We pull apart our faith. We pull apart our identity. We pull apart these things that are so fundamental to who we are as people and should be so fundamental to who we are as followers of Christ. Now, when we pull things apart, we eventually put them back together. And it's not a bad thing to sometimes pull things apart. Some things need to be pulled apart. They need to be torn apart. And some things need to be put back together using different material. Or they need to be put back together in a way that serves a higher purpose. But so often what happens is we go through disorientation, we deconstruct our faith, our worldview, our identity, our belief system, whatever it is, or all of those things and more. 
And then as we begin to reconstruct them, the question is, what do we use as a guide? What do we use as a standard for putting that back together? And there's a lot of things we could use. We have this prevailing culture around us that often seems to be pressing in on us. And so we can use what is trending. We can use what is socially acceptable. We can use the latest cultural norms that always seem to be sort of changing and emerging. We can use those things and let those inform how we construct a worldview, a faith, an identity, all of those things. We can use politics, and politics become the most important thing. And we allow those politics that we have to shape who we are, what we do, belief system, all of that. We can use power and privilege. And so we construct an identity and a worldview based on what sustains or gives me power or privilege or preserves the power or privilege I have. Many times, people just use personal preference. The question is pretty simple. What do I want? What will make me happy? What sounds right for me? My truth. You do your truth, I'll do my truth. And you probably heard that phrase. So what do I want? And we build these things based on a standard that isn't necessarily primarily the word of God. Sometimes it's what other people say. Sometimes it's what other people expect of me. But what if when we're doing this, we immerse ourselves in the word of God and we allow the gospel, the teachings, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus to inform who we are and what's important to us and how we live and how we make decisions. What if that becomes the primary guide for our lives? You see, we can use all of those other things and we can even wrap those things in spiritual language and make them sound like we're using scripture. But what if we just immerse ourselves in God's word and in prayer and allow the spirit to produce the fruit of the spirit in us and those things become the guiding light for our lives? I think that's one of the important applications from Joshua's instructions to his people. In essence, that's what he's saying to them. He says, remember what God has done. God is not leaving you. Don't leave God. Don't give in to the cultural influences around you. Don't give in to the selfish pride within you. In essence, what he's saying is is what the words of that well-known proverb tell us. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding, on what you want, on what you think sounds right, on that gut feeling, on what your friends are saying, on what people expect of you, on what the culture says is right. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge or submit. I like that translation. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. It doesn't mean he'll give you an easy life or a comfortable life, but he will have you on the path that he created you to walk. God, for his Israelites, had a place for them. He had a purpose for them. I think he has a place and a purpose for us as well. Here's the bottom line. If you love God, you will obey God. I mean, that's about as simple as it gets. If you love God, you will obey God. 
You see, there's an interesting little verse tucked away in chapter 23 that you may have even missed. We read it a few moments ago. It's verse 11. You see it on the screen there. This verse about love, which seems sort of out of place, doesn't it? I mean, this whole chapter, this whole story is about invading the land. It's about battles. It's about destroying devoted things. It's about the wrath of God. And then all of a sudden you have this little line about love. Don't forget to love God. Remember to love God. It's almost like those rocks you pick up in the mountains, those jagged rocks, and sometimes you see that little streak of pyrite gold, you know, fool's gold. Like, this doesn't seem to belong here. And that's how it is with this this appeal to love. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Why is that there? It's there because obedience and love are forever linked. Obedience is grounded in love. That's why Joshua is reminding them all of the things that God has done. Look at how much God loves you. Look at what he's done for you. How can you not love him? And if you love him, you'll submit to him. So look at how good he is to you. Yeah, but we had this and we had that. Don't forget what God has done for you. You see, obedience and love are forever linked together. It sounds like something Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, what did he say you'll do? You'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. When you honestly evaluate your experience, your experiences with God, whether they are from the biblical text or in your own life, the result should be heartfelt love. And one of the outcomes of that love should be obedience, a strong desire to honor God with your life. Sometimes we try to emphasize obedience without love. That's called legalism. We reduce the covenant relationship between God and his people to a list of do's and don'ts. But the bedrock foundation of the covenant relationship between God and his people has always been love, not legalism. You see, legalism has no staying power. It has no depth. It has no heart. Jesus blasted the Pharisees because they had all kinds of legalism, but they had very little love. Obedience and love are forever linked together. In his book called Yawning at Tigers, the author writes about this TV commercial. I haven't seen the commercial, but in the book, it's an interesting story. And the commercial has this guy from a different culture, but he's in America, and he is about to participate in an arranged marriage, and he's nervous about that. He's been in America long enough to know there are other ways to do this, and he's not quite sure about having an arranged marriage. But he goes to the airport to meet his soon-to-be wife, not ever meeting her, not knowing what she looked like, not knowing anything about her. He's in the airport, and he has flowers in his hand, and he's, he's there, and he's dreading it, and he's questioning it. He's saying, why am I here? You know, this isn't, I don't think this is right. And then the young lady walks through the terminal, and evidently she is beautiful. And suddenly, he's interested. He goes from dread to delight in an instant. What was the difference? What brought about the transition? He saw her. He saw her. (laughs) If you haven't seen God, maybe it's time to open your eyes. And if you haven't seen God, it's going to be tough for you 
to love God. And if you don't love God, it's going to be tough for you to trust God and submit to God. Joshua says, open your eyes, look at what God is doing among us. Do you not see? And if you see that, it should change everything about how you live. It should set the course for your life. You want to submit to him. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you want to submit your life to him. You want to live for him. If it's been a while since you've seen God, I would encourage you to take a fresh look. So here's the question I'm going to leave with you today. God has been faithful to you. Will you be faithful to him? I mean, take some time and think about all the ways God has been faithful to you. Will you be faithful to him? If we can help you do that, if we can help you be faithful as a community of faith, let us do that. If that means praying for you, encouraging you, lifting you up, if you need to confess, we would be happy to support you. Or maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ. Being faithful to him means surrendering your life. Maybe you're ready to do that today, to be baptized into Christ, to put on Christ, to be a new creation in Christ. If that's the case, we would so much enjoy celebrating with you today. If you're online, you can go to our website and our prayer page to reach out to us. If you're here in the room, we would love to encourage you today. You can come as we stand together and sing. Can I ask Mark and Cindy to come join me on stage? I'd also like to ask all of the, the shepherds to join us on stage and, and all of those who served as shepherds um, with Mark over the years, if you could also join us up on stage. Um, as been mentioned, uh, Mark and Cindy would be moving. Uh, apparently all of Mark's ties and coats are already packed, but... Um, We'll have them come up anyways. If, uh, if, you didn't get, if you didn't get a copy of the bulletin, there's a wonderful article about Mark and Cindy in that, and we thank Bobby for putting that together. Um, that's, that's great. Um, there'll also be a reception this afternoon. Kevin will tell you more about where we'll get together and um, honor the Coleman's. Honor will come across in many different forms. It will, will not be a full roast, but um, just come with stories. All right, and I, speaking of notes, I have prepared notes. I could stand up here all day and say nice things about Cindy, um, but <laughs> when talking about Mark, I, I had to reach, and so I've, I've made up, I mean, I've, I've written some down, so... So, uh, Mark and Cindy Coleman have been a key part of this congregation for a very, very long time. Uh, as mentioned, they'll be beginning a new adventure, and we'll be moving to Ada. And Cindy will be missed. They will be missed. They will be missed. But we're not going to be sad. We're, uh, we're going to remember a, a lot of good things, but we're mostly going to be thankful. We're thankful that they... We're part of this congregation, and will continue to be part of this congregation, even though they'll be worshiping in Ada. Um, we'll rejoice with their family that we'll get to see them more. We'll rejoice with the congregation there that they will serve alongside with, and we'll rejoice with the souls that will be one um, through the work that they are, will do there. Uh, they'll be the first to tell you God is in control 
of everything, and great, greatness will come from this, and we, we are happy and excited for them. Uh, over the years, the Colemans have served this church in many different ways across almost all ministry areas. Um, and, and as they've done that, it has been humble service. Um, the fact that they're up here on stage right now, as Randy mentioned, uh, makes them very uncomfortable, which is why we'll stretch this out as long as we can. Uh, but, but what they've done has been for God for God and through God, and uh, we, are, we, are, we have been blessed by them. Uh, Mark began serving as a deacon in 1977. I was barely nine years old at the time, uh, and has been a shepherd since 1992. Uh, he's been involved in many things from, started out as Monday nights with the campus ministry group over at their house, which grew. Um, to the point they had to add on to their house, uh, to numerous mission trips, which were also, as Randy also alluded to, near-death experiences for, for many of us, and class events, and just being a, an ever-present force here at the building um, at all times. They've been involved, and they've been available. I'm not going to... Uh, to ask for a show of hands of who of us have been in their house or, who's how, or, or, or if they've been to your house or if you've had conversations with them. It doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter if it's a, a, a celebration, something you're rejoicing about or something you're struggling with. They've been there for, for many of us, for all of us, and they've shown us the the love that, that God has through us through their work. And again, we have been blessed for all they've poured, it, poured into this congregation over the years. We're thankful for the work that they've done, and, and that work will continue. Their fingerprints are, over, are on many of us. I, can, I got some fingerprints right back here. You can't see them from there. But uh, those are Mark's fingerprints on the back of my head. But, um, but they've done a lot of work. You can see that. Yes, yes. I kind of wandered there, and all these nice notes that Mark prepared for me, I'm, I'm going to try and stick to them better. <laughs> but, uh, but they have had an impact on a lot of us. You can see that in the, the great works that some people are doing. Now, as I look out over the crowd, some of us aren't done yet, so we'll still need that guidance and support, and we know that we'll get that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't pre-planned, but I, I found it fitting that uh, today in our adult Bible classes, we kicked off a study on the Acts 2 church. And uh, my allergies acted up on me a little bit during first service during this part, so bear with me. But when we read about the first church there in Acts 2, in verses 41 through 47, we read that they took care of anyone that had a need. And they ate together in one another's home. Thank you, Cindy. They had glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. And uh, the scripture says that they were devoted. And I think that's a word that, as you think of Mark and Cindy and, and what they've meant to, to this church, more importantly, what they've meant to God's kingdom, 
I think devoted is an excellent word, and we're thankful for them for that. For almost half a century, um, almost as long as I've been alive, Mark and Cindy have been a part of this church and have shown us what that first church in Acts 2 was all about. They have continued to show that same devotion in all they do. They will continue that when they get to Ada. It's not that far away. Same time zone. It's only a couple minutes down the road, depending on how fast you drive. And if you've ridden with Mark, it's just a few minutes down the road. Um, they are missed, so we, we're thankful for them. We thank you, Mark and Cindy. I think that the best thing that I can say about them is, is they truly love the Lord, and, and the Lord loves them back. And the same with this congregation. They love this church, and this church loves them right back. So uh, with that, I'd like to ask Merritt to come and lead a prayer of blessing over the cold. For anyone that knows me, you'll, you should know how difficult this is for me. Um, I have a hard time emotionally when I'm talking about someone that I love very deeply. <clears throat> I'm honored and thankful to have the opportunity to lead this prayer today because um, Although I'm a shepherd and an elder of this congregation, Mark has been and continues to be my shepherd. And that uh, <clears throat> is not something that I take lightly, nor do I take that lightly with the people that I shepherd. So join me as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we come to you today uh, Father, thanking you for this opportunity that we have to be here together today. Father, I pray that our worship this morning was pleasing and acceptable to you. Father, we are so grateful and so thankful to you in so many ways. You are such an awesome, powerful, holy God. Father, we are thankful that you're our safe place and our rock and our refuge. Father, help us never fall short of giving you the praise and the glory and the honor that is so due you. Father, I'm thankful for your son and I'm thankful, Father, for the incredible love that you have for us that enabled you to give your only son as an example to us, Father, and as a, as a sacrifice and, a, and a, re, a redeemer so that we can be with you for eternity. Father, I'm thankful for the example that he's given us as to how we're to live as Christian people. Father, I'm thankful this morning for Mark and Cindy and for the example of Christ that they've been in this community, in this congregation for so many years. Father, I'm thankful for their humility, for their compassion, for their love, and their desire to be disciples and make disciples. And 
be there for so many. Father, I'm, I pray that as they leave this place that you would prepare the hearts of those in Ada that I know that, you, that you're sending them there for. And Father, I pray that you would be with our hearts, be with our lives and individually in this congregation here that we can continue to implement and to carry out some of the things that we have worked through the years to put in place for your glory. Father, help us to be the Christian people that you want us to be. Help this church to be the congregation that you want us to be. And Father, help us to value and, and to realize the importance of being together in a fellowship and being devoted to your word and to you in prayer and to those around us and, and taking care of the needs of others. That's our greatest desire, Father, is to be like Jesus. And Father, you've given us so much. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to be devoted to you above all things. Please be with Mark and Cindy as they transition. Give them peace. Pray that you would give them comfort and, and, uh, in all of their endeavors as they get closer to family. And I pray, Father, that you would help all of us to constantly strive to draw closer to you. Father, we're going to miss them. And I know they're going to miss us. But, Father, we are so thankful that because of your Son, we can be together for eternity, standing around your throne, singing songs of praises forevermore. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.